Open your Bibles to John's Gospel, the first chapter. John's Gospel, the first chapter. I'm going to read the first five verses. Then I'm going to read from three other passages, two of which will be on the screen. Or you can thumb through your Bibles very quickly if you'd like to do that and follow along in your own text. We're in this series, What Every Christian Ought to Know, What Every Christian Should Know. Uh, The first sermon was, Are You a Christian for Certain? And secondly, we talked about what every Christian ought to know about the Bible. The last week, what every Christian ought to know about God. And then today, what every Christian should know about Jesus. Wow, again, an enormous subject. And so we read from the Gospel of John. Stand with me, please, and honor the reading of God's Word. Verse 1, John 1, In the beginning was the Word, that is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Thumb through in your Bible or just look at the screen. Colossians 1, 15. The Son, S-O-N, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together." supremacy of Jesus. Then turn back a few pages or continue to watch the screen. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5. We just finished a series in Philippians. This was my favorite passage as we were journeying through that epistle. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Then the final passage will not be on the screen because I just added it last night. And that is Revelation chapter 19 beginning with verse 11. And what I want you to do is close your eyes. If you need to hold on to the pew, that's fine. Close your eyes and just listen and see if God will give you a picture of this in your mind as I read. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, 
riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now you can open your eyes, but don't sit down yet. In the person of Jesus, God physically entered into our world. An infinite God came to live in a finite world. The one who knew exactly how things were supposed to be came to a place where things obviously weren't. In Jesus, God and man became one person, a person unlike anyone else the world has ever seen or will ever see. Jesus Christ was and forever will be fully God and fully man in one person, and that one person changed the course of history forever, and I might add, changed my life forever also. You may be seated. As we think about what every Christian should know about Jesus, we remember His life as revealed to us in Scripture. One with the Father from eternity past, by the divine plan of God, born of a virgin in a village called Bethlehem. He grew to be a man, began a public ministry by being baptized at the hands of John the Baptist in the Jordan River, then began a ministry of preaching and teaching, and he taught and preached like no one had ever taught or preached before. He performed miracles, miracles over nature, miracles of healing, miracles of restoring sight to the blind, miracles of raising people from the dead, and then he gave his life on a cruel Roman cross for your sin and for mine, three days later, arose in triumph over death and ascended to the right hand of Father, the Father in heaven where the Scripture tells us He is coming again. And so this morning, I want us to remember six things about Jesus as we think about what every Christian, what every believer should know about Jesus. Number one, Jesus fully man. Jesus, fully man. How do we know that Jesus was fully man? First of all, we reflect upon His virgin birth as related to us in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, the, the evangelist records, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And then later he was born, Emmanuel, God with us. And the scripture says he did not consummate their marriage. That is, Joseph did not consummate his marriage until Mary gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Jesus was born of a human mother, just like you were, just like I was. And there is nothing more human than birth. The virgin birth reminds us that salvation 
is of the Lord. It is His supernatural work. The virgin birth makes possible the uniting of full humanity and full deity in Jesus. God, in His wisdom, ordained the combination of the human and the divine. A very human birth and a fully divine conception. The virgin birth also makes possible Jesus' humanity without inherited sin. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the Scripture says, And the angel answered her, that is Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Jesus, in His body, as fully man, had human traits. A human body, He grew like any child grows. He became tired. He became thirsty. He became hungry. He became weary. He knew pain, just like you and I no pain. He was crucified in his physical body, and he arose in a physical body, in his physical body, though perfect, yet human. And he ascended to heaven to the right hand of the Father. He had a human mind that increased in wisdom, according to the book of Luke. He learned obedience to his parents. He had a human Emotions, like you and I have human emotions, emotions of compassion, emotions of sorrow, emotions of anguish in spirit. Jesus was fully man. He was fully man, and yet the Scripture tells us sinless. A lamb without blemish, according to Peter. One who faced every temptation that you and I face, yet without sin. One who knew no sin, according to the Scripture in Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then the Scripture tells us in First John chapter 3 and <clears throat> verse 5, but you know that He that is Jesus appeared so that He might take away our sins and in Him is no sin. His humanity allows Him to be the one mediator between God and man of which the author of Hebrews speaks in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. For this reason... He made, he had to be made like them, that is like man, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus had to be fully man in order to be the substitute for us. So the first thing that we must remember that every Christian needs to know about Jesus is 
Jesus fully man. Jesus fully man. There is a second thing that we need to know that every Christian needs to know about Jesus. And you would probably guess before it appears on the screen what that would be because we've said Jesus fully man. So what would be next? Jesus fully God. Jesus fully God. We call that the incarnation, the incarnate Christ. God became man. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus claimed deity for himself. We read about it in the Gospels. He who has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. The Son of Man is a title that is used of Jesus more than any other title in the Gospels. The word God is used of Jesus. The word Lord is used numerous times of Jesus. He gave evidence of His deity throughout His ministry as He performed miracles over nature, as He performed miracles of, of healing, as He gave sight to the blind, as He raised the dead back to life, and as He exercised power over the demonic. Throughout His earthly ministry, again and again, we see evidence of deity in Jesus. He was fully God, fully man, fully God. Only God could bear the full penalty for our sin. Say that again. Only God could bear the full penalty for our sin. Salvation is from God, and only God could rise from the dead. Jesus, fully man, yes, fully God. Fully man, fully God, two distinct natures, yet together in one person. And we refer back to John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word, that is Jesus, was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and then through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus, fully man. Jesus, fully God. The third thing that I believe every Christian ought to know about Jesus is this. Jesus, the atonement. Jesus, the atonement. The atonement is the work Christ did in His life and death to earn our salvation. I'll say that again. The atonement is the work that Christ did, that Jesus did in His life and in His death to earn our salvation. The what of the atonement is this. Jesus' death on the cross and His glorious 
resurrection. That's the what of the atonement. The cause of the atonement. The cause of the atonement. Two words. Love and justice. Love and justice. The cause of the atonement. Love. The love of God for you and for me. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The why of the, the cause of the atonement, the love of God for you and for me. And the second word, justice. Sin must be paid for. Because God is a God of justice, God is holy, sin cannot exist in His presence, therefore sin must be atoned for, sin must be paid for, because God cannot overlook sin and rebellion, so therefore the atonement. The atonement because of two words, love and justice. In Romans chapter 3, And verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. So, Jesus and the atonement. The cause of the atonement, love and justice. The necessity of the atonement, the necessity of the atonement, God did not have to save anyone. But once He decided to save some, then the atonement became necessary. Jesus said that Himself on the road to Emmaus as He walked with with two men, and he said, did not the Christ have to suffer and die? As he explained to them, Jesus knew that there was no other way for God to save us than for him, that is, Jesus, to suffer and die. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus cried out, Father, is there any other way? As he anticipated the agony of the cross, both spiritually and physically, and yet he knew that this was the only way. And he said to God, not my will, but your will be done. In Hebrews, uh, the ninth chapter, and verse 26, the Scripture says, But he, that is Jesus, has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin, by the sacrifice of Himself. Jesus and the atonement, the necessity of the atonement. There is, there was, there is, there will not be any other way except by the death and resurrection of Jesus. The nature of the atonement, the nature of the atonement is this. First, a life of obedience on the part of Jesus, a life of obedience. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 19, the Scripture says, For just as through the disobedience of the one man 
the many were made sinners, that was Adam, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. That is Jesus. And so Jesus lived the life of obedience, the nature of the atonement, a life of obedience, and a life of suffering. In Isaiah chapter 53, uh, the prophetic uh, Isaiah chapter, verse 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. The atonement by nature meant a life of obedience. It meant a, a, a life of of suffering it meant the cross and the agony spiritually of the cross the agony physically of the cross we often focus on the physical because we can imagine that in our minds and it's so horrific to think about the pain and the agony of jesus upon the cross and yet i would submit that even greater was the pain spiritually uh, for jesus as on his innocent heart his totally sinless innocent heart He bore your sin and mine and the sin of the world upon his own innocent heart. And so the nature of the atonement was one of obedience and and one uh, of suffering and one of abandonment. For on the cross, in that incredibly electrifying moment, Jesus cried out, to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in all of history, the first time in eternity, Jesus could not sense the presence of God. And he called out, my God, my God. The nature of the atonement, one of Obedience on the part of Jesus, one of suffering, one of pain, and one of abandonment. So we remember Jesus, fully man, Jesus, fully God, Jesus, the atonement. Number four, Jesus, the resurrection. Jesus, the resurrection. There is such an abundance of New Testament evidence for the reality of the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection was not like that of, for instance, Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead because Lazarus had his same body and that same body was going to die again. But Jesus arose from the grave with a perfect body no longer subject to weakness or pain, or aging, his body would live eternally, and it was a physical body. He could touch and be touched. He ate and he drank. And so the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus is a reality. And you know, and I know, that that, that the resurrection of Jesus is an historical fact. And there are so many reasons that we could support that, but I, I cannot ever help but think about those early disciples who had run away when he was crucified. But when they saw him raised from the dead, they saw him alive. 
they became courageous and fierce followers of Christ. And every single one of them ultimately martyred because of their faithfulness to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus. Jesus arose from the grave according to Matthew 28, according to Mark 16, according to Luke 24, according to John chapter 20 and 21. The book of Acts proclaims it, the epistles preach it, and Revelation shows the risen Christ reigning and tells us of His soon return. The doctrinal significance of the resurrection is enormous. Just three things. It is the insurance of our own resurrection. For in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, Paul wrote these words, By His power God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will raise us also. So the, the resurrection of Jesus is our insurance of our own resurrection. It's also the insurance of our own justification. For in Romans chapter 4 and verse 25, the Scripture says, He, Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And so the resurrection of Jesus is insurance of our own resurrection, of our own justification, and I might add, of our own perfect body. Don't have one now even close to being perfect, but one day I will, and so will you. And His resurrection is our insurance of that. According to 1 Corinthians 15, listen, verse 51, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, but we'll all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must put, must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. What a glorious moment it will be for every single one of us who know Jesus. There's, a, there's some um, ethical significance also to the resurrection. Simply, we need to continue steadfast because in that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul concludes that great, that great chapter by saying, Therefore, you know, I've said all this, therefore, in light of what I just said, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm. Stand firm. Focus on future reward. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul puts it this way. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life now is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. And then the last ethical significance to the resurrection of Jesus is stop stop yielding to sin. Uh, stop, stop it. 
And that, that's advice for all of us. According to Romans 6, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you will obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law but under grace. God help us to do that. God help us. Now, two more things, and we're done. And these last two are really short. Jesus, the resurrection, then Jesus, the ascension. Sometimes we kind of think about the ascension. Oh, yeah, okay, let's move on. The ascension's important. (laughs) The ascension of Jesus is important. Where did he go? Luke 24, verses 50 and 51 tell us he went to a place, a literal place. What place did he go to? Heaven. You know, heaven's a real place. It is a real place. (laughs) Sometimes people think about heaven as some ethereal something or another out there. I want to tell you when the the Greek New Testament talks about heaven being a place, when it uses the word place, it means a place. It means a real, a real place, not some ethereal something or another, but a real place. So that's where Jesus went. He went to a place and he received glory and honor. We read about it a moment ago when we read um, Philippians chapter 2. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in addition to that, in Revelation chapter 5... John, in his vision, looks into heaven, sees many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircle the throne, and with the living creatures and the elders, they, in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. That's Jesus. That's where he is, and that's what the angels were seeing, and we'll see it one of these days also. Now, We will ascend, and our final home is assured, and we will share in his authority. Those three things about the ascension that are important. We will ascend, we'll rise, we'll ascend to meet him in the air. Our final home is assured. Remember Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. A place, there's that word again. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. So his ascension reminds us that we will ascend, that we, that our final place, our final home is assured, and that we will share in his authority. What does that mean? Well, all I know is to read what the Bible says, Ephesians 2, 6. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We will share in his authority. Now, here's the last thing, number six, what every Christian needs to know. What do you think it is? The return. He's coming again. Jesus, the return. He's coming again. Uh, 
I wish we had time to spend about 30 minutes on that. We don't. So here's what the Scripture says. They were looking intently in the sky as Jesus ascended. When two men dressed in white stood beside the disciples and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And then in the last book of the Bible, numerous places, but I'll read one verse, Revelation twenty-two twelve. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am coming soon. And our response, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's what every Christian should know about Jesus. Let's bow our heads together. In a moment, Brother Gary will lead us in the singing of a song of invitation. And we offer this invitation with great passion in our hearts because we believe that in this room, any time we are together with this many people, there are, there are at least several who have not yet trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord. And the invitation from the risen Christ is to you. This morning you can sense the tug of the Holy Spirit at your heart. So when we stand and begin to sing, would you leave your seat, come and place your hand in mine, and say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus. And a member of our staff will be here to pray with you, open God's Word, share with you how you can know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Father, those of us who've already made that decision, rejoice, rejoice from the depths of our being over what Jesus has done and who He is and His absolute majesty and magnificence. And our prayer this morning is that if there's one, two, three, four, five or more who do not yet know You through Your Son, Jesus, that right now they'll come trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord, in whose name I pray. Amen. God speaks to your to your heart. You come as